church. Good morning to our friends and visitors as well. If you are here for the first time, welcome to, to New Life Church. We are continuing in our study of the book of Acts. We go through this book systematically, and this week we are in Acts chapter 19. In our previous studies of the, the book of Acts, we saw that Paul brought the gospel of um, Christ to, to Ephesus. Um, he first shared it in the synagogues, as was his um, normal uh, pattern. And when his teaching was rejected there, we saw that he rented a school of, called the School of Tyrannus, uh, which really became the center of teaching for the next two years. Uh, and the result was that they had a uh, if, remember last week, they had a magnificent bonfire in Ephesus, and all the people brought their, their black magic books and their astrological books and their horoscopes and their, their Ouija boards, and they burned these in the public square in the center of the city. Um, so Ephesus there had a church that was being established. The church became a basis for evangelism that extended um, to the entire Roman province of Asia Minor. And Paul spent three years there teaching about the kingdom of God in Ephesus. And today we continue his ministry in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. The title of my message this morning is Christ Changes Culture. Christ Changes Culture. So if you would stand with me please as we honor God's word. And we will read this morning from verse 21 to verse 41. Acts chapter 19, verse 21 to verse 41. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. In other words, a lot of business. Verse 25, these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is a danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion. And they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion. And most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, whom the Jews had put forward. And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, 
greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is a temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Please pray with me. Lord, we ask for your help this morning as we study this narrative that has been recorded for our admonition, for our instruction and training in righteousness. We know your word is sufficient for all that we need. And we ask, Lord, please, may your spirit teach us today. May you open our eyes. May our hearts be opened as well. And may we respond to what the spirit has for us today. So we all need your help today, Lord, and we call upon you. Please um, change lives today. Convict us of our sin. Comfort those that need to be comforted for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> in 2015, Kerry and I were ministering and living in India. And I remember a particular evening, a group of men from our church went to hand out tracts in a nearby neighborhood and invite people to church. And we would go in pairs and we would knock on people's doors and hand them a tract and invite them to church. And more than not, people would invite us in and discuss religion and give us an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And this particular night, everything was going as normal until a man approached me in the streets and he asked me if I had given this particular tract to his son. I told him I had, and he began shouting at me, telling me that India was a Hindu nation and that I had no business telling people about Jesus who was a foreigner, who was a god of the foreigners, a Western, a Western god. And this man was a, a leader in the community, and he managed to bring a number of men with him who were also shouting and making a lot of noise. And of course, with all the shouting and the noise, more onlookers came to see what all the commotion was about. And within 10 minutes, there was a crowd of about 50 people that had gathered who were all confused, but also very agitated with me and, and my friends. It was, um, it was a frightening experience. And even though the Constitution of India allows Christians the right to practice and to promote their religion, I soon realized that no amount of of reasoning or debating with them was going to calm them down or even change their, their minds. So we decided to walk away and retreat to one of the homes of one of our members close by. Um, the crowd did not disperse. They came outside the house and they were continuing to make noise. Um, and we prayed. We prayed earnestly for about two and a half hours. And eventually the crowd left and we were able to, to go home. And our text reports another more serious riot in Ephesus um, that is instigated against Paul and his friends and this newly planted church. 
And although Paul was not at the, the center of this, this action, it must have been an unforgettably frightening experience. My first point this morning we see in verse 21 and verse 22 is the strategy of Paul. Look at verse 21. It tells us, now after these things were finished. So the gospel of our Lord had been planted firmly in Ephesus and really all of Asia Minor because Paul had spent about three years sharing the gospel in this place. And verse 21 tells us that Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and then go to Jerusalem. <clears throat> Excuse me. And Paul, led by the Holy Spirit, he had made some definite plans. Um, he planned, he, he strategized, and the apostle had a, had a goal in mind. He was goal-orientated. Um, he was planning towards the future. He knew his time was, was limited. And Paul's short-range goal really was to eventually get to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. And on the way, he would stop in Macedonia and Achaia, and he would encourage the churches there that he had established. And Paul also wanted to go to Macedonia, uh, sorry, to Jerusalem via Macedonia and Achaia so that he could uh, take a collection from these churches that he had planted for the saints in Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem was very poor, and Paul wanted to take a love offering from his churches as a gift to the, the church at Jerusalem. And we read about that in several places in the scripture. Romans 15 verse 25 and 26 tells us, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So Paul was a man who had a, had a goal. Paul was a man who had a plan. He knew where he wanted to go and he was committed to getting there. For the sake of the glory of our Lord and God. Notice in verse 21, Paul, he also said, I must also see Rome. Now this is not the must of a, of a tourist who must go and see the Grand Mosque and see how beautiful it is. This is a must of a missionary. He really wanted to share the gospel. He was compelled to preach the gospel where it had never been preached before. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16, For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So we know Paul was a committed servant who was committed to the will of God. He was committed to the gospel and he was committed to the lost people receiving this message of hope. But verse 22 tells us that Paul sends Timothy and Erastus ahead of him to the churches in Macedonia and Achaia to prepare for the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And we learn from 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that Paul had written to these churches um, in advance in Corinth and he was encouraging them to receive his friends and to make a generous contribution to the, to the saints in Jerusalem at that time. It was also the apostles' plan to stay in Ephesus until the day of Pentecost. But all of this soon changed. All of his plans eventually changed. And Luke tells us now in Acts chapter 19, verse 23, what caused his plans to change and what caused 
um, his direction to alter. Our second point we see is the strategy of Satan. We see in verse 23 to verse 34. Verse 23, look at your Bible, tells me, tells us, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. So even though Paul had all of these plans, Satan also had a plan. And we see it. This word, no little disturbance, means a big disturbance. And this disturbance was not just against Paul, but against the church. Verse 23 tells us it was against the way. Notice that word way is a capital W. And the way was an early name for the, the Christian church. The church pointed to Christ as the way. The church pointed to Christianity as a way of, of life. And they really did have a, a wonderful reputation in the areas where the churches were planted. But you may ask at this point then, why was there such a disturbance if the Christians were, were living a life that was, um, uh, well, was of integrity, if they were good workers in their job, and if they were good citizens? Why was there such opposition towards the church at this time? Well, the, the, answer, the answer to that is that there is an evil spiritual realm in which we, we live. And the devil is at work in this, in this world to oppose God and to oppose his Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Paul later explained to the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 6, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rulers against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The devil is a real opposition, a real opposition to the church and to, to Christ and his gospel. And it's no coincidence that this riot, that this riot took place after these professing believers had confess their sins. Remember last week, they had openly demonstrated their repentance by burning their, their evil books and their, their horoscopes and their, their, their Ouija boards. And as a result of this cleansing, verse 20 tells us that the word of the Lord continued to increase and grow mightily. A revival was taking place here in Ephesus. The church was growing People were coming to faith in Christ, and they were being added to the church. The kingdom of God was expanding. And whenever the church repents of her sins, and the word of the Lord grows mightily and prevails, Satan doesn't sit around passively just rubbing his hands. He launches an attack. If we do not sense any opposition from the enemy, we should, we should examine ourselves to determine whether or not we're doing anything significant, significant enough to warrant any opposition. And the Christians in Ephesus were doing something extremely significant. And Ephesus was famous for the, the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And many historians believe it was the most beautiful building that was ever built. It was 425 
feet in length. It was 220 feet in breadth. It was supported by 127 pillars of marble, and each column weighed about 150 tons. This particular building could accommodate over 50,000 people, and it was probably the largest Greek temple ever built. But the image of Artemis was not that beautiful. Artemis was the goddess of earth. She was a multiple-breasted woman who symbolized fertility, and she was carved out of a black meteorite, which the priest said had fallen from heaven. And they believed she was the, the goddess who controlled the sexual, reproduction, uh, sexual reproductive powers of men and, and women. And as you can imagine, the worship of Art Artemis was very sex-orientated. And sacrifices were, were offered to, to Artemis combined with um, temple prostitution. And the Ephesians considered themselves, as we see in our text, keepers of this goddess Artemis. And they were making and they were selling shrines of Artemis. And of course this was a prosperous business because many people from all over Asia Minor came to this magnificent temple to worship Artemis. And this business had sprung up around this temple to serve not just the residents but all the, the religious tourists who would come on their pilgrimage every year to come and worship Artemis. And of course if if the market dried up, these silversmiths would be in ruin. In verse 26, look at, look at verse 26, it tells us, And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. They, these words are from Demetrius. Now, Demetrius is this pagan silversmith. But this is his testimony. And, and it's an incredible testimony from, from the mouth of Demetrius to the effect that Paul's ministry was, was thriving. Paul's ministry was growing and Paul's ministry had this, had this negative effect on this temple. And of course, the, the, the reason is it's not because of Paul. It's not because of his eloquence, not because of his education. It's because of the power of the gospel which he preached. The demonstration of the power of the gospel was evident even for the, these pagan silversmiths. And through the preaching of the gospel of Christ, men and women were turning to Christ in, in great numbers. And these new converts were turning away from their idols to serve the living and true God. And the business of making idols was falling off. And not because of tight money or high interest rates but because Paul and the other Christians were preaching the gospel. They were preaching the gospel. And these idol makers had been hit where it, where it hurts most, in their bank account. And this really is an amazing testimony to the power of Christ to change lives and to destroy idols and to change sinful cultures. And Christ does the same thing with modern idols even today. And whether those idols be material things, whether those idols be drugs or, or sex or alcohol or, or people or whatever these idols will topple when men and women meet the resurrected Savior. And each time a person comes to Christ 
for salvation, he affects his culture. And if enough people turn to the Savior, a whole culture can be changed for the glory of our Savior. Now, you may have heard in the news this week that the UAE government banned the, the Disney movie Lightyear, Buzz Lightyear. You may remember him from Toy Story. The movie was scheduled to be released next month. And I also heard over the radio that several other GCC countries have also banned this movie. And no real explanation was given, so I went to um, a website, Focus on the Family, which is a, a Christian ministry, and they have Christian movie reviews on their website. And I found out that this animated cartoon, this, this animated movie, which is aimed at children, has in the opening scene two women kissing each other who eventually end up getting married. And I was saddened to hear this. And I was also reminded that the devil does have a strategy. He wants to destroy families. And Focus on the Family said in this review that, that Disney is currently embracing a perspective on same-sex marriage and homosexual relationships that are in direct conflict with what Scripture teaches about the purpose and the place of sexuality in marriage between a man and a woman. Now, I don't mean to start a, a riot here today, but let me, let me ask you, how does your heart respond to that news? How does your heart respond to that news? Pedro introduced us this morning in our Family Bible Hour to Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. And in this book, he says that an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. I think sadly our, our modern culture has made an idol out of sex and sexuality. Our culture is not that different to those who worshipped Artemis, the multiple-breasted goddess of fertility. And our modern-day goddess of, of sex and sexuality absorbs people's hearts and absorbs people's imagination more than God. And Tim Keller goes on to say that idolatry is not just a failure to obey God. It is a setting of the whole heart on something besides God. Now what if all who profess to know Christ repented of the idol of sexual sin and stopped watching these movies that entertain sin? Would that have an effect on our culture? I'm sure that it would have an effect on, on Disney and, and their revenue. Would Disney stop pushing their perverted views of sexuality into attainment onto our children? The gospel is counter-cultural. Christ changes lives. He destroys idols. We cannot worship our idols and worship God at the same time. We cannot have two masters. Christ changes lives and he destroys idols. Unfortunately, humans worship the creature rather than the 
creator. And the Bible calls that idolatry. And we are called away from that type of idolatry. And the problem with idolatry is that idols take, but Jesus gives. Idols destroy our lives. And Jesus gives us a new life. And idols break apart people and they break apart relationships. But Jesus redeems and Jesus heals. And Demetrius and his fellow pagan silversmiths, they they should have asked themselves, well, if the message that Paul and others are proclaiming is true, we're in trouble. We're We're in big trouble before the creator of the universe because we've not only worshiped this this stupid idol, but we've helped thousands of others to do the same. And if Paul's message is true, we need to find another line of work. But Paul argues in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, the problem is that men suppress the truth. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness, and they end up in idolatry, worshiping the creature rather than the creator and that's what idolatry is that's what it's basically defined as and tim keller offers a few helpful diagnostic questions to help us discern whether we have idols in our own hearts remember an idol is not just something that can be carved in stone or in wood Idols is anything that we we worship other than God. Anything we love more than God. And here are a few questions that he asks. One of them was mentioned this morning. Number one, what do you characteristically daydream about? What do you daydream about? Number two, what do you most fear? What could you lose that would make life not worth living. What do you fear the most? What could you lose that would make life not worth living? Number three, what fills you with irrational anger, anxiety, despondency, or guilt? What fills you with irrational anger, anxiety, despondency or guilt and number four what do you effortlessly spend too much money on what do you spend effortlessly too much money on well i hope at least one or two idols have been revealed in your heart at this point but we can't just remove we can't just identify we can't just understand and then Remove that idol. That's, that's not enough. They have to be replaced with something else, something better. And Colossians chapter 3 tells us that uprooting idols needs to be done by repentance and replacing them with joy in Christ, with rejoicing in Christ. Do you find your joy in Christ this morning? Do you find Christ is your all? Or are you looking to other things of this world to find your, your joy and your security and your satisfaction and your meaning? 
May the Lord identify these idols in our hearts this morning. But we see here, my third point, the strategy of our sovereign God. In verse 35 to verse 41, look there with me in your Bible, if you would. In verse 35, sorry, in verse 38, it tells us, If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen were with him, having a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. Verse 41, And when he had said these things, he, dim he dismissed the assembly. Now again, this is a statement from a pagan that the Christians have done nothing against the government. And the town clerk here, who's mentioned, he had a similar position as a mayor would today. And he was the one who would have to answer to Rome for this riot if it had happened. And notice what he does here. He assures the crowd that the greatness of Artemis is, is not in danger and that the two men they had apprehended they were not guilty of robbing the temple or blaspheming their, their goddess. He reminded them of the, the proper judicial channels if they had a, had a grievance. And then he warned them of the consequences if Rome accused them of any unlawful assembly. And then he dismisses the crowd. I hope that sounds familiar. Remember in Acts chapter 18, remember when Gallio, the, the proconsul of Achaia, remember he he defended Paul from the mob. And really the same thing is happening here. Instead of being persecuted by the authorities, Rome has now become the protector of Paul and of the preaching of the gospel. And here we find a, a, a pure pagan, a man who seems to have worshipped Artemis himself, taking a position which defended not only Paul, but also Everyone that was with him, even though they, they preached a gospel message that denied the existence of his God. And here, as in Corinth, Paul's safety and protection was not the result of his own doing. It was not the result of his own defense. Remember in Corinth and here in Ephesus, he, didn't have the, even, well, he wasn't even given the opportunity to give in a, a, a defense. But God provided protection for Paul and for the preaching of the gospel through pagan men who were in positions of political power. And once again here we see the sovereign hand of God at work. The sovereign hand of God at work. The Lord goes before us and He places people over our lives at every intersection. The parents we have, the boss we have, the president of our country, all have been placed there by the Lord for some purpose which we may not know at the present moment. But here we see the strategy of our, of our sovereign God, clearly protecting the gospel and those who were preaching the gospel for His glory. But let me conclude this morning and bring a few applications together that I hope would help us. I want to finish with a story that I read about a local missionary in India by the name of M. 
the Vogese. He tells the story of Alila and her six-month-old son. Now, Vargis was sharing the gospel that day with um, Hindus who had gathered at the banks of the Ganges River, and they would do that to wash away their sins. And he came across Alila that day who was kneeling in the sand, and she was crying uncontrollably, beating her, her chest. And with compassion, he knelt down next to her, and he asked her what was wrong. And through her sobs, she told him, The problems in my home are too many, and my sins are heavy on my heart. So I offered the best I have to the goddess Ganges. I offered my firstborn son. Alila had walked to the river's edge, holding the child tightly. And then all of a sudden, in one quick movement, she had thrown her six-month-old son to the crocodiles in the river. And Brother Vogue's heart, he ached for this desperate woman. And as she wept, he gently began to tell her about the love of Christ and that through him, her sins could be forgiven. And she looked at him very strangely. And she said to him, I have never heard that before. And she replied through her tears. And she said, why couldn't you have come 30 minutes earlier? If you did, my child would not have had to die. And Alila did repent of her idolatry that day. And she put her faith in the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And she would go on to walk along that same bank of river with Brother Varghese, sharing the gospel with other hopeless people. Brother Varghese, he, he reports in his book that in the last 20 years, no one along that bank of the river had sacrificed, had sacrificed their children to the goddess Ganges. Again, the power of the gospel does have the power to change lives. It has the power to change cultures. And Christ changes lives and he destroys idols. When we turn from our sin, when we turn from our idols to worship the true and the living God. And the question we need to be asking ourselves is, are we making an impact? Are we making an impact on the culture in which we live today? What if... We loved the lost like Christ loved the lost. Would we see a change in our culture? What if we repented of our, our worldly idolatry and we put our faith in the power of the gospel and like Paul, we were compelled to share the good news with others? Would we see a change? What if we believed what the Bible said about sin and we believed what the Bible said about hell. And we did everything we could to turn people away from the judgment to come. What if the church decided to live holy lives in, in front of a, a holy God? Would unbelievers begin to see the effects of the gospel in our lives and be convicted of their sins and turn to Him in faith? And would the way of Jesus Christ begin to cause no small disturbance in our day. Well, let's begin in New Life Church and find out. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son who has saved us from our sins. Who has saved us from our idolatry. 
I pray today if there are still sins that we are holding on to, if there are things that we are loving, that we are giving more of our time to, that we are hoping in more than you, Father, please grant us repentance today. Grant us repentance today. That we may love you with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of the days that you give us. Help us to make much of Christ. Help us to be sharing Christ wherever we go to make your name great. That people in our day and age, in our families, in our neighborhoods would come to know of the love of Christ, the God who gives new life. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.